morning is certainly a great one indeed to realize that with you and I, things are as well as they are that permit us to gather in the way that we are and offer the best way to begin this first day of this week. Looking forward to God's blessings, not only of the service, but also on their efforts of this week as we strive to live for Him. So good to see each and every person gathered here today. Not only our membership, but others who've come our way, and we're so thankful that each of us can gather as we are. You may have already noted by the title that we come to our third installment already this year of a series of lessons on the fundamentals of the faith. By that I mean this, there are certain elements of our conviction, of our faith if you please, which are not lofty and abstract, they're very basic and fundamental to our right living before God. And today we come to a consideration of the book you may well be holding in your lap. It is to say that the Bible is certainly a fundamental truth which we must understand and appreciate in the way that God would have us to do it. I hope with that Bible in hand that you'll look at a number of passages with me today as we allow God to speak to us about the character of how you and I should look upon the Word of God. Let me start with a question, what is the Bible? I have some statistics on that slide before you. Statistics which are easy to obtain. The Library of Congress, in fact, in our very country, is the source from which I got virtually all of them. You realize that there are about 2.2 million books published every single year in our world. Over 300,000 of them are in the United States of America. That's a lot of books. That's a lot of books. Obviously, many of them don't connect in any way to religion. They don't connect in any way to spirituality, but a lot of them do. What makes the Bible any different from them? Is there any difference? Fundamentally, this is a very basic question then, isn't it? Not only that, you may notice next on the slide, I list for you the following thought that that same Library of Congress that I mentioned a moment ago, every single day, they add over 10,000 items to their collections. Now, not all those are books, to be sure. Some are records, some are other particular pieces of ancient information. I understand that. But a lot of them are books. And many times we might be under the impression that the modern-day person has access to so much more information, and so shouldn't anything written today be much more accurate much more believable, and much more a source to which one could turn than some book written 2,000 years ago. It's a very good observation, isn't it? And so today, why don't we at least take a few moments and begin our first day of the week by reflecting upon the Bible as a fundamental consideration. Again, I ask, what is the Bible? Now, we're going to allow the Word of God to do the speaking today. Let it tell us what it is, and let it tell us the way we should look at it and appreciate it. And as we do that, let's start with some characteristics that I've highlighted on this next slide. May I be quick to say, of course, that you and I live in an age and a time when we have access to information unsurpassed by any people who have ever walked the planet. You know, people in the ancient day, there were certain selected libraries, like the one at Alexandria in Egypt, and if you wanted to know something, you had to go all the way to Egypt to get it. 
Today, a cell phone has access to untold pages of information in any language, from anywhere, all around the world. It's phenomenal the amount of information to which you and I have access. And so again, some would be quick to say, why is this any special at all? When I can pull up on Google and search for something, when am I supposed to take the Lord's Supper? What do I have to do to be saved? Whatever Google tells me be just fine with me. Whatever Google tells me about something concerning heaven, many will think that's fine. I hope to help us see today by allowing the Bible to speak for itself. It's not our goal to speak for it. It does its own fine masterpiece of specification. And so the second point on that slide begins like this. The Bible clearly declares itself to be not just the words of a man or not just the words of a group of men, but the Word of God. That is to say, the actual thoughts of God presented in the words of God. Look at a few of these passages with me. In 2 Samuel 23, 2, David at one point in the Old Testament, remember, he wrote some of the books of the Old Testament, and he himself could say, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and His word was in my tongue. What David thus affirmed, what he presented, was not his own ideas. It was not his own speculation or opinion. He himself admitted that it was the Word of God. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse number 9, God again made this statement, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. Jeremiah, what are you saying? I'm saying the words of God. Jeremiah wasn't specifying his own thoughts or opinions or what he considered the matter. It was not his feeling. In Jeremiah 22, verse 29, interestingly, a passage we noted in the Bible class this morning. O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. What Jeremiah thus proclaimed and what he set before the people was again the word of God. At this point, as you keep those thoughts in mind, I've only listed a few others, but surely a list like this could be extremely lengthy. In Ezekiel chapter 3, verse number 4, you notice among other places in that same book, a reference is given to the truth that God told Ezekiel, Go and speak with my words unto the house of Israel. So isn't it true that Ezekiel, as he proclaimed and taught and preached, he wasn't speaking with his own thoughts or opinions. He was proclaiming the Word of God. It may well be in that light how sweet it is to hear Jesus Himself say that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Jesus made that statement in Matthew 4, verse 4. Isn't it thus true that the Word of God... This Bible, the thing that you and I appreciate in that light, must be seen that way. It is God's Word. That distinguishes it from those other 2.2 million articles or volumes we noted earlier. Let's go even further, though, and look into the New Testament. For not only might we take note of some of these Old Testament verses, but what about just a few in the New? May I come to 1 Thessalonians 2.13? Maybe among the passages of the New Testament, this one heightens and piques our appreciation when Paul says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard of us, 
You've received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectually worketh in you that believe. Paul thus highlighted that that which he presented and he and his companions preached, it was the word of God. And how thankful he was that they in Thessalonica had received it that way, not as the word of men, but as the word of God. It is that key idea that distinguishes this book then from that host of others that we mentioned. The writings of men are simply that, subject to all the mistakes, the discrepancies, and the other kinds of errors that men may put in it. It's not to say that men intentionally put errors in what they write, but sometimes their perspective is misguided. Sometimes their appreciation is on an unshaky, or rather a shaky foundation. Perhaps one last passage in that New Testament one would take us to James chapter 1 where the word of truth is at least mentioned. And later on in that same chapter, when you and I look into the perfect law of liberty, James 1.25, we are able to appreciate then that it is the word of God. Those thoughts alone are passages and ideas that help remind us of how unique, how singular, and how precious the Bible really is. That amazing description of 2 Timothy 3.16 perhaps is well-fitting at this point. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. I hope then that we'll never read the Bible the same way we'd read a newspaper, or the same way we'd read the National Geographic, or some other writing of men, they are not equal. And Google does not compare to the Word of God. It's true that there are some things and sources of information valuable to us when it comes to secular matters. But when it comes to the saving of the soul and things related to spirituality, it is the Bible that is the source. It might well be in that light. Let's come near the bottom of that slide and note this. There is something else that the Bible is quick to remind one and all in the ancient era as well as today. And it is this, that man must never tamper with the Word of God, not adding anything to it and not taking anything from it. Now keep in mind that it would certainly be a very presumptuous man or woman who would write some book and say, nobody of any generation ever should take anything and add it to this book or take anything from it. But yet the Bible says that many times. In Deuteronomy 4 verse number 2, we find very clearly that God telling the ancient people of Israel, this by word delivered through Moses, make sure you never add anything to it and make sure you never take anything from it. That's reiterated again in Deuteronomy 12, verse 32. In Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. And yea, one last time on the last page of the Bible in Revelation 22, verses 18 and following. We find then that the Word of God stands unaltered, unchanged, and unmodified throughout the ages. That makes it very special and powerfully unique. As you and I close that slide, though, we note this. Having at least noted that men are not to change it in any way, look at some of these additional characteristics. We might well note this throughout the presentation of what God has delivered to us. It's interesting to notice 
that the one who wrote it, not being men, but that of God, that means the Bible doesn't have mistakes in it. It doesn't have discrepancies. It doesn't have errors. Now, to say it that way is to say this. The God who wrote it is specifically said to be a God of truth. Deuteronomy 32, 4. And He cannot lie. Titus 1, verse 2. It is not possible for the God of heaven to lie. He does not deceive. He doesn't pervert or twist that which is right. And surely, if He wrote the Bible, then the Bible would have that characteristic. That the Bible would be that which is right. And it would be that which is true. And it would be that which is founded upon the solidness of the very reality of who God is. Some of the verses that will bring us to contemplate that are these. In John 17, verse 17, The Son of God Himself said, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Now that's strong, isn't it? For you and I know what it means to say that something is true. It is to distinguish it to what's false. It is to distinguish it to what is not true, whether intentional or not. But yet the Bible is said to be true. The Bible contains 1,189 chapters. It contains 31,102 verses. Those verses were prompted by the deliverance and revelation of God Himself. As we've already learned, He equipped approximately 40 people to write it over a span of about 1,600 years. That's a long time from the human standpoint. And yet, as Moses wrote some of the earliest parts of it, and as John the Revelator wrote the last part of it, we find in all those years in between that those who wrote never once contradicted each other. They never once, in fact, denied what the other had said. But they joined together in one beautiful, harmonious presentation of this unbroken strand of truthfulness from the God of heaven. You'll notice at the top of that slide, then, we might add some of these other verses. The 119th Psalm is the one that Brother Dennis read from a little earlier today in our service. That is the longest chapter in all the Bible. It has 176 verses. And of those 176 verses, all but about four of them, that would be about 172 verses, describe in one way or another the perfection, the needfulness, and the essentiality of the Word of God. One could, in fact, select any number of those and use them to motivate ourselves today. I've selected only a few. You'll notice of that number, verse 142 says, Thy law is the truth. Verse 151 highlights again, even in that ancient era, the beauty spot of the truthfulness of the Word of God and the law which it presents. You and I realize then that laws are meant to be obeyed. They are meant to be appreciated as the presentation of that which they are. Despite the fact that some people have been often in a position to say laws are meant to be broken, we know that isn't true. The laws of God were not meant to be broken. They were meant to be understood for the healthfulness and benefit of those to whom they were given. The laws God gave ancient Israel were for their benefit. Deuteronomy chapters 7 and 9. 
And so today, you and I know the law of God for us. It's meant for our well-being. It's not meant to hurt us or to harm us or in any way bring us into a way that's not good for us here and hereafter. Perhaps two more things on that slide. God's Word carries the authority of God. As we've already learned, if it's the Word of God, then it is the Word which God has presented, and so it carries the rightness and authority which rests with God. Now, we understand that authority with humans has to be delegated from God Himself. Well, you know, along with I, that this, this Word of God is certainly the presentation of His truth and the presentation of His authority. And so in Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12, we read on that occasion that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Did you notice that the description of that passage was the Word of God is quick? May I offer us this thought? When you and I use the word quick, we mean speedy. The ability to move from one place to another with rapidness. That's not the meaning of the words that appears in that passage. Quick means alive. The Word of God is alive. Now, not alive in the same way that it lives and breathes, but it is living in the sense that it ever has within it the means of addressing any situation that arises and that it always presents the Word of God in that regard. For example, it's always going to tell people how to be saved, whether they're alive now or 100,000 years from now. It always will have within it the information consisting of what is right and wrong, whether that be living now in America or living 50,000 years from now and what then might be something like Russia. It doesn't matter. God's Word's always right. The living character of the Word of God is thus a truth that will have a great bearing on the way in which you and I look at it. One final thing, the Bible is lasting. 1 Peter 1.25 says the Word of God stands forever. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 24.35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. That means it doesn't matter how, quote, smart mankind comes to be. It doesn't matter how skilled or intelligent or otherwise educated mankind may become. He will never reach a point where he does not need what the Bible contains. There will never come a time. Maybe it's in that connection. We can at least say this as well. The Bible actively is needful for you and me in the aspects of our life. And so after looking at some of these characteristics, let's give thought to the blessing which the Bible is. We've highlighted the Bible as being inerrant, as being inspired, as being authoritative, as being needful, but what about the blessing that comes with it? Words would to some extent fail to describe the fullness of the blessing connected to the Bible. I'm going to try in one, sh in one slide to perhaps highlight as at least succinctly as I could some of the features the Bible shares about itself. The Bible presents the only course of action, belief, 
and consideration through this life with the promise of life to come. It's the only one. Didn't Jesus say it like this in John 12, 48? He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Wouldn't it be something to at least contemplate standing on that great and remarkable day of judgment and to see the judge open this book and to compare your life and mine with what this says? So it won't be compared to what I thought it said, and it won't be compared to what I had hoped it said. It'll be compared to what it did say. And for that reason, the knowledge of the Word of God is so critical. And God, in fact, invites us to reason with Him, Isaiah 1.18, and to appreciate the presentation in His holy and divine book known as the Word of God. You'll notice again near the top of that slide, that the Bible contains what's involved in right living. There's a way to live rightly, and there are, of course, ways to live wrongly. I've invited you to reflect on Psalm 19. Now, though David wrote this a long time ago, I hope you'd appreciate with me the presentation of it in the form of the shortness of, the, of these words. Psalm 19, may I begin reading in verse number 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. You've noticed that the inspired psalmist presented in some very brief ways how the Word of God is pure, it's clean, it's right, and that law, as verse number 7 put it, is perfect. So if you and I wish to know what's right, this is the place to go. That rightness leads to the next element on that slide before you. Because it's right, how interesting should be our attention given to it because it illuminates the way through life. We are so often surrounded by influences and forces which would move us in a way that would not be consistent with the Bible. And thankfully, by usage of that Bible, we can be aware of what those influences are and make the right choices and make the right choosings in light of our course of action. I've listed on that slide reference to a, a particular literary place. I won't call it a poem. It doesn't really seem to be a poem, but probably you have read it before. The writing is somewhat small on that, but I wanted to fit it there so you could hear it. In case you have, again, encountered it before, it reads like this. The Bible contains the mind of God. The state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, 
and comfort to cheer you. The author goes on to say, It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here paradise is restored, heaven opened, the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good, the design, and the glory of God its end. And now the final paragraph. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life, will be opened at the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, will reward the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. I do not know who authored that, but I do think it has some interesting things in it to reflect upon and to appreciate the consistency and how great the Bible, in fact, is. As we go back to that previous slide, let me just close it with this question of Romans 4, verse 3. In the midst of a world to which there were so many sources, Paul himself could say, What saith the Scripture? Paul's only interest was to turn to the Word of God and ask what it was that the Bible had to say about that topic and that subject. So with those things as somewhat of a foundation for our thinking, let's close our lesson today with a slide I've entitled, So what about the usage of the Bible? That is to say, in what way might we employ it and preciously allow it to be used in the way that God would have us to use it? These thoughts are very brief, but I hope that they're meaningful to each of us. The Bible is the source of the greatest assurance. Isn't it interesting how in life you and I can find ourselves in the midst of chaos and in the midst of what can pull our attention to various and sundry ways? How do I know this is right? How can I be sure? Maybe you and I have often found ourselves in positions in which we wonder about that and we desire the steadiness of a foundation. Do you recall that the Lord gave us some information about that in Matthew 7, verses 24 and following? Without reading the fullness of it, you remember it well. The Lord talked about a wise man and a foolish man. And from our days of Vacation Bible School, we remember that the foolish man built his house on sand. The wise man built his house on a rock. May I say that was not just a lecture related to wise house building because it began in verse 24 by saying, Who is the wise man? The one who hears these sayings of mine and does them. If you want to have sureness of life, a confidence and assurance that goes with course of action, rest assured in the conviction that goes with the Word of God. What about the second one? The Bible is the source of man's greatest and ultimate happiness. Do you want to be happy? Do you and I want to be happy? The God of heaven has told us how to be that way. Psalm 128 gives us the answer. Allow me to read the opening couple of verses of that chapter, Psalm 128, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is every one that feareth the Lord and walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands, happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Did you notice it all began with happiness connected to 
walking in His ways, which ways are, of course, given to us or shared with us or pointed out to us in that which is His Word. What about the third one? How can you and I keep from sin? We know that sin's bad. That's not hard to understand. Well, how do I keep from it? Psalm 119 verse 11 says it like this. As he speaks there about the nature of, I have hid thy word in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. The psalmist said the way to keep from sin is to take that word of God, plant it in our heart, and utilize it thus to guard our steps in life in such a way that sin will be distant from us. The fourth one is this. The Bible is the source of wisdom. Do you want to be wise? Do I want to be wise? I think most of us realize the significance and the value of wisdom. The Bible itself describes itself as that source of wisdom. Psalm 119 verse 98 is one verse among a number of others that might have been listed. But thy judgments, thy word is that which will make a person wise. Jeremiah on one occasion, again speaking the words of God, would say in Jeremiah chapter 9, that all of those in the world who have not turned their attention to thy word are not wise. But those that are wise are those who have followed the word of God. In the fifth place, the source of understanding, Psalm 119 verse 104, We again are so often surrounded by perspectives and viewpoints which men have come up with, and it's wise and powerful to know. What about that viewpoint that really is an understanding one? The Bible reminds us in Psalm 119, verse 104, it is the source of ultimate understanding. The next one I've invited you to consider is this, the source of fulfillment in life. We each are so blessed with capabilities and skills and talents. But even Solomon said, that by itself is nothing but vanity and vexation of spirit. There's something that must be added to that reality which will comprise it in a way that will lead to a life that's fulfilled, a life that's complete, and a life that has within it the innate sense of joy. What is it? In Psalm 119, verse number 2, it's the Word of God. That life then which employs that set of skills and talents in a way consistent with what the will of God is for that person now. We see the kind of joy and being that goes with it. I've asked you also to notice the 93rd verse of that same chapter specifies the same. Let's add to that the next one. The wonderful element of faith. Paul said it like this in Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Do you and I want to increase our faith? Do we want to see that faith elevated to a higher position? A place that's beyond where perhaps it is now? May I suggest the only way that will ever happen is through connection to the Word of God, directly allowing the Word to be what moves our faith in that direction. For that reason, we thrill at the thought of considering it, studying it, availing ourselves of those opportunities to do so. And the next one, of course, ties it like this. 
It is, of course, a tragedy that has been a part of the difficulties of the ages when there are those who will misinterpret the Bible. Even Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 2. They handle it in a way that's not right. But you'll notice Paul didn't say to those Corinthians, don't give any thought then to the Bible because somebody might handle it wrongly. He urged them to be knowledgeable of it, appreciative of it, so that they could identify when someone's not using it inappropriately. Today, you and I are in the same position. We love the thought of the Word of God. It means everything to us. Let's close that slide then by highlighting we've looked at some characteristics today of the Word of God, that it is the inspired, infallible, authoritative Word of God. In so doing, it brings us to a slide of conclusion in which I've tried to summarize some of our thoughts in ways like this. The Bible is by far earth's most precious possession. It might well be stated this way, if every single book on all the earth except the Bible were taken away, we would still know clearly how to get to heaven. But on the other hand, if the Bible were taken away and every other book were allowed to remain, we'd forever be in darkness. We'd forever be clouded in the matter of uncertainty, not knowing what to do or how to do it. Because every other book, you see, is rests, resting only on the authority of men. The Bible rests on the authority of God. And oh, how thrilling it is to consider it to study it, to rightly divide it, 2 Timothy 2.15, and to implement it into our life. It indeed is that little statement earlier made today. It is the pilot's compass. And it is that great sword described in Ephesians 6 verse 17. Today, as you and I reflect upon ourselves, and we reflect on a society that's so often founded upon a foundation which is crumbling, resting upon only the impression of men. Aren't we thankful to have a book which shall never change? A book which shall never be modified or altered. A book which shall stand the test of time. Heaven and earth, Jesus again said, shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Today, are you a faithful New Testament Christian? Am I? If you've never become a Christian... May I say to you that the Word of God is then that which reveals the full state and character of a person. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You and I like, we're all those that will make the wrong decisions. The approaches that we shall take, the judgments we shall make, they will be misguided and wrong left to ourselves. That sin, you see, will doom our soul. Aren't we thankful that God loved us and sent His Son to die for us and to reveal to us this beautiful and perfect gospel of Jesus Christ? Today, then, if you're not a Christian, realize you aren't answering the invitation of the Pippin Church of Christ. If you come forward today, you aren't answering the invitation of, say, a person or a man. It's the Lord's invitation. It is He who urges and invites. And don't you want relief from the burden of your sins? Don't you want those sins to be taken away and removed? He's promised His blood will do that. Without shedding of blood is no remission. We read in Hebrews 9 verse 22. Today, if we could assist you in obeying the gospel, 
the Lord Himself demands that you hear His Word, believe it to be true, believing Him to be the Son of God. Repent of your sins, for they are what have separated you from God. Confess the greatness of His name as the Son of God and be baptized for the remission of your sins. May I say at that point, the Lord will add you to His church. He will put your name into the book of life. He will journey with you through life so long as you will walk with Him. May I say, though, as a wayward child of God, you've reached a point perhaps that you now realize that in this position you've stumbled, you've fallen, you've taken a pathway that's not right. You've begun to rely upon reasoning from others besides the Bible. Maybe you've relied on your own reasoning. But you now realize upon your own study of the Word of God that all is not well. Questions have entered your mind and your life seems unstable. God wants you to know that you're saved, 1 John 5, 13. And He wants you to appreciate the confidence and assurance that brings a life built upon the Word of God. Today, if you have come to a realization that you'd like to come back to your first love, we want you to know it's still the Lord's invitation. He wants you to come back to a place of fidelity and faithfulness. You need to acknowledge those sins. You need to confess them. And if we could help you today by praying on your behalf, what a joyous occasion it would be. Today, we want to invite you to come, even as the Lord most carefully does, and do so while together we stand and while we sing.